Well, good morning. It's my first time not having a printed backup copy, so I was like, will it come up on the iPad, or am I putting my faith in technology in a bad way? It's always a blessing to come to Moms by Grace, and I'm so thankful for the ladies in the season ahead of me that I get to talk to and ask questions of and watch what they do and then copy them. They know I always copy them. They're so helpful. So I know that at your table, some of you know the ladies there and others of you, you came and you're sitting at a table of gals you don't know and I, I would encourage you to jump right in. Just get to know them, um, take a risk, let them into your life and just see what the Lord does this year. Um, this morning, I have been asked to share about one of my many weaknesses, which is living with balance. Um, but it's so helpful for me to share about my weaknesses because then I study and I meditate on God's word surrounding the topic and then you all help me grow through that process. Have you noticed how strengths that become too intensified develop into weaknesses? Like the person who is scheduled and disciplined can become rigid and self-centered or those that work hard as unto the Lord often struggle with doing it in their own strength. Or someone who's gentle and forbearing, they can be permissive and refuse to confront sin when it really needs to be confronted. And each of these qualities can be positive, but they develop into weaknesses when they lack balance. Balance is the resting point between two opposing sides, or it's two qualities that offset each other. So, and balance can be a weakness for me, as I want to be disciplined, but yet fun. And I want to train my children, but also serve hard in ministry. And I want to have a clean house, but not live in a museum. Um, so I don't want to value cleanliness over relationship there. And does anybody struggle with me? Um, I want you to rate yourself. I put a little rating thing up there. Rate yourself in a few areas. And I've listed extremes on either end. And I just want you to put which side of the balance mark do you tend to fall on? So first, are you overly family-centered or are you overcommitted elsewhere? That could be ministry or a hobby. And either side is an extreme. We can have our eyes so much on the people in our household that we don't serve the body of Christ or model that for our children. But I also know ladies who are so involved in ministry that they neglect training in their homes. Because ministry often has more immediate rewards and more thanks than we get at home from our ungrateful little reprobates. <laughs> so, okay, number two. Do you tend towards being a permissive parent or a disciplinarian? Which one are you? Because an overly gracious mom can lack the consequences that her children desperately need, but you don't follow through, you're not consistent, you only give verbal correction, like, let's not do that again, okay? So, or a disciplinarian can give truth without love, long lectures, and can discipline out of inconvenience a lot of times. They lack that sweetness that makes a great parent-child relationship. Third, are you more scheduled and by the book? Or are you a little too spontaneous, but disorganized? So if you're scheduled, scheduling is great. Are you willing to flex your plans for an opportunity that the Lord brings? 
Or do you call yourself a flexible person, but you really live in a state of emergency a lot of the times that is totally your own fault because you haven't prepared? So, and the reality is we're to be a balance of all of these things. You should prioritize training your children, but also serve in ministry. You should discipline consistently and with love while enjoying your children and showing them the same patience that the Lord shows you. And you should live purposefully and be conscious of your priorities and yet be willing to take risks and leave a margin of time in your schedule for the unexpected. So during this year at Moms by Grace, as Kari said, we're gonna talk about many areas where we need to be balanced. And today we're discussing how do you set yourself up to live with balance in what you do? How do you live according to biblical priorities? Now there's about a difference between priorities and commitments because you can have commitments that are not priorities. And if you're a scheduler, the key is not to prioritize what is on your schedule, but to step back and then to schedule what are priorities. So and that's what we're gonna start with this morning to look at the big picture of our priorities and evaluate our balance. So a balanced heart in your outline, if you're a note taker, number one, a balanced heart requires big picture planning. Big picture planning. First Corinthians 9.25 says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. I know that we know this verse, but I want you to look specifically at the command that is in this verse. And notice that the exhortation is not to get up and run, start running. No, if you're in Christ, you are already running. The command is run in such a way. The exhortation is to pay attention to how you are running. Now, almost 10 years ago, I learned that I had chronic low blood pressure and an autoimmune circulatory disease. So to help with this, I became a runner. Actually, I'm a really slow jogger, but it sounds so much better if I say I'm a runner. So I'm a runner. And as I started running though, I found that all the little things, they really mattered. Like if I ran on concrete, I got shin splints. If I ran downhill, my knees hurt. If I ran uphill, my knees also hurt. Like I said, I'm really not a good runner here. But I began to make adjustments in how I ran. I ran on dirt instead of on roads. I changed the shoes that I wore. I began to pay attention to my gait and I realized I ran with a heel strike, meaning my heel hits the ground first. So I tried to fix that. So after a few years of torture, now I found I actually enjoy running. But this morning I want to ask you, how are you running? What is it that gives you shin splints in life? And how often do you step back from the cycle of your weeks, I mean, the meals, the discipline, the cleaning, the ministry, you step back from it all and evaluate, do I have a heel strike? What are the things in my life that are hindering me and keeping me from being a good runner? So when you evaluate things like, is your discipline with your kids consistent, clear, and loving? Do you, do you proactively train your children in God's truth when they're not in trouble? Do you have a personal Bible time that's refreshing? Would you say your home is characterized by joy or by complaining? And are you friends with your husband and have clear communication with him? Evaluating these things. So 
So is there effort and progress in these areas or are some things kind of on the back burner? So there's always room for growth, but often when there's not enough time to get to all the important things, it means there's likely things that you are prioritizing that you shouldn't be. Are you pouring effort into extra things, peripheral activities, but neglecting some of the things that are actually important? Is that hobby, is that friend group, the social media account, the spotless house, the exercise program, the special diet, the DIY projects, all these things that are good, and they're not sin, but maybe they're a hindrance. It's keeping you from getting to the important thing. It's like a heel strike for you as you run. Hebrews 12.1 says, lay us, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race set before us. So there's sin and there's encumbrance and we're to lay both of those things aside. Are there things in your life that should be put on hold or cut out so that you can focus on your priorities? How do you evaluate if you're balanced and spending your time wisely? Like if you're planning your calendar, you're making your weekly to-do list, how do you decide what to put on it and if you're investing in eternal things because we live in a world of opportunities and there are so many good things that we can choose from to do but there's only a handful of those best things so and being balanced is about identifying those most important things and prioritizing those but the tricky part the tricky part to me is that those most important things they're not always tangible so there are things like having a good relationship with God or building a strong marriage or training your children. These are big, broad goals. And it's hard to take a big goal and put it on my to-do list. But you can take a broad goal and break it down into small things that then you can do. You can evaluate your next step towards that goal and make sure that that has a place on your schedule and that the less important things get kicked off the bottom of your schedule. So I spent many years in youth ministry, that probably explains a lot, but one principle that was drilled into us was how to help students apply what they were learning. And we were taught that application should never be general. It should always be specific, measurable, and achievable. So it's specific, it's not something like, I'm gonna be more patient with my kids. Because that is really hard to apply. You need to pick a particular action that you can do, more like I am going to find one verse on patience and memorize it. And when my kids annoy me, I'm gonna recite it in my head before I even talk to them. So do you see the difference? So second, it should be measurable. You should have a way of quantifying whether or not you did it. So again, you can't have the application, I'm gonna be more kind. How can you measure if you are more kind? or not. Instead, you write an application like, when I feel my annoyance growing because I've heard, hey mom, for the hundredth time that morning, I'm going to close my mouth, go into the bathroom, read the verse on patience that I taped to the wall, and then you know, I'll come out and talk to them. You just need some way to measure it. Did I do the application or did I not? And thirdly, it should be achievable. Your application should be achievable. Something that's attainable. So it's not such a big task or a big change that you're just not reasonably going to do it. So we are more likely to grow with small changes that become habits. So we all have lots of areas 
that we're trying to grow in and that we're trying to balance. We're trying to grow in our personal relationship with the Lord. We're trying to be a loving and helpful wife, training the hearts of our children, managing a household. You wanna serve in the body of Christ in some way. And on top of that, maybe you have a job or an elderly parent or something you're caring for and you're trying to balance all of these priorities so I put a chart in your outline and I challenge you to fill it out this week. Not right now, <laughs> fill it out this week. But ask yourself, not what is my broad goal for this area, but what is my next step in each area? So not, I wanna bring glory to God, but what little thing just for the fall that if I was to grow in that, that would make a big difference in my walk with the Lord. So what would growth in that area in your life look like. And I want to be super practical this morning and think a bit more together about goals and applications. So let's do an example. Like, let's say that as a mom, I want to be more effective in training my children. So rather than just write training my children, I'm going to do a little bit of legwork, make it specific, measurable, and achievable. So first, I'm gonna step back and evaluate what do I think is at the heart or the center of where I need to grow? Not where my child needs to grow, but where I need to grow. And I'm gonna ask myself, okay, what one thing, if I was to work on that, that would bring about a lot of growth or fruit. Maybe it's me being consistent or my lack of self-control that I see come out. Um, or having just a clear set process for when I go to discipline, that can be really helpful. So evaluate what might be at the heart of it, my impatience or laziness or love of comfort, and ask my husband and a close friend to get some perspective, and that will be more my short-term goal. And then I'm gonna pick some areas, some ways to address it. Maybe to address it, I'm gonna ask an older mom what they do to train their child in this area. I'm gonna find a verse and write it on a card and post it by the sink. I'm gonna talk with my husband about my new plan and get his input and make sure we're on the same page. And I'm also gonna to try to hug my child every day because I know that effective discipline is based in relationship. So maybe that's my application list for this goal. So this week, think through some specific actions that you wanna take in each of your roles. What would your strategic task list be in these areas? and choose some concrete actions that are specific, measurable, and achievable to make it a little more likely that you'll see some growth. So as you think big picture, you might find that you're investing too much in one area and completely neglecting another area. I know a danger in your season is that most of your energy goes towards your kids and your household and the Lord and your husband tend to get the leftovers. So big picture planning also provides a biblical grid for decision making. Like when you write out your goals clearly, they guard you from saying yes to things that would just sidetrack you. Like you have to apply that yes, no principle. Like every yes is a no to something else. And same with the reverse. If I give a no, I'm leaving room to say yes to something else. So and often when I do choose to say no, it, keeping my priorities in focus then helps me use that little bit of bonus time more effectively. Like for example, if I decided I'm not gonna go to the park with everyone because I really wanted to work on how my kids fight with each other and I just haven't done it, then I can be purposeful in using that little bit of park time to address that thing. Meaning while I'm not at the park and conscious that I'm not at the park, I'm gonna sit down with my kids while they're not in trouble 
And we're gonna do some role playing about provoking and responding with kindness and when do I go to a parent to ask for help and those kinds of things. So I said no, but then I was purposeful with my no time to invest in what I needed to invest in and that was training my children. Um, Kevin DeYoung says the greatest danger with busyness is that there may be greater dangers that you never have time to consider. And in our culture, the enemy of purposeful decision-making is busyness. And I don't wanna be so distracted with good things that I miss out on the most important things. I love Proverbs 28, 19, which says, he who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty in plenty. I wanna point something out in this verse. It's not the main point of the verse, but I want you to notice something about these two men, and it's that they're both busy. They're both doing something. One is tilling his land and one is following pursuits. But the first man has prioritized his work, and he's actually fulfilling his God-given role as being a provider for his household in doing that. But the second man, he's also busy. He's following pursuits, but he has chosen to do things that are of little importance. We don't know what those things are, but in eternal eyes, his pursuits were empty. So he was busy, but not profitable. And does that describe us sometimes? We're busy, but we're not profitable. Or are you like the first man? And I know many of you are. You're busy fulfilling the roles that God has for you, and that's exactly where we want to be. So take some time this week to think big picture to live with balance. So number two in your outline, a balanced heart. A balanced heart will be weighted heavily towards the Lord. Heavily towards the Lord. The Lord is not a part of our lives that needs to be balanced. He's the reason for it. And the larger the place the Lord has in your heart, the more he will work through you. It's just not possible to love the Lord too much. It's possible to be child-centered and make an idol of our husband, but we can't have too big of a heart for the Lord. Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, emphasis on all. Psalm 73.25, whom have I in heaven but you, besides, or, and there's nothing on earth I desire besides you. So do everything you can to stoke the fires of your love for Christ. And one of the primary ways we do this is by having consistent daily time with the Lord in his word. And the way we get to know a friend is by spending time with them. And the way we get to know the Lord is by spending regular time with him. When my kids were little, I often heard mom say that this season is just too busy to have consistent time with the Lord. And they gave themselves the excuse that they could just do it later when they're in a different season and they had more time. But for now, they would sing a hymn, read a page of a devotional, pray while they cleaned, but they weren't gonna pressure themselves to have daily Bible time. Now, all of those things are good. They're, those are good things, the devotion, the prayer, the yes. But if that's all you're doing, you're missing out. I, first, you, you won't have time in the next season, sorry. But how you spend your time changes, but your days are still really full. And the times that you're the most stressed and the most tired, these are the times you need the Lord the most. So times that we need help, we look to God for that help. We see that all through Psalms. Psalms 121, 11, 
or I raise my eyes to the mountains from where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So if God made the heavens and the earth, then my struggles are surely not too difficult for him. So in the tired and the stressed out times, we need to look to God. And not with a prayer of desperation, but with a sustaining relationship. So don't eat a spiritual snack here and there. Like stop eating spiritual cliff bars and do some meal planning for your quiet times, right? We know that regular meals take planning and that's true in the kitchen and it's true with the Lord. Right? You have to think ahead. You have to set the meat out in advance. So we have to be intentional. So just choose when in your day are you gonna spend time with the Lord? And pick a location and set out your Bible, your journal, your prayer prompts, your pen, get it all there and ready. Also have a plan for what you're gonna do when you get there. So when you sit down and you open your Bible, you should have a plan. So pick a book of the Bible, a topic you're gonna go through, verses or a Bible reading plan. If you don't know what to do, ask someone at your table this morning, your mentor mom, the peer mom, and they'd be happy to help you find something interesting to study. But then even once you pick what you want to read, pick how you're gonna study it. Are you doing a Bible study that's all laid out for you with the questions? Great. Um, are you doing prompts from, from your community group? Great. Um, or are you gonna use a Bible study tool? Are you gonna do observations and questions? Are you gonna do the SPACE acronym? So I'll list that out. You read a paragraph and you write, is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise that I should remember? Is there an action that I should avoid? Is there a command I should obey or an example I should follow in what I just read? Just a tool to help you dig a little bit deeper and remember what, what you just read. So that was sin, promise, action, command, example. However you are gonna do your Bible time, just decide what you're going to study, how you're going to study it, where you're gonna do it, and who will hold you accountable, or even better, who is gonna do it with you. So, because Bible study is so much better with a friend. So, spending time with God requires determination. We see that through scripture. Ezra 7.10, for Ezra set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Set his heart literally means to seek, like to look, go looking for something. So, and I love this verse that he didn't just study, but then he practiced it and then he taught it. I think, will you set your heart to study and to apply it and then to teach it to your children? We also see in Mark 1.35, says, in the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a secluded place and was praying there. Now this was in Jesus's second year of ministry, which was his year of popularity. And this was after a busy day of ministry for Jesus. The, the crowds were just flocking to him to be healed. Everybody needed him. And he knew he had to get away to pray in the midst of all of that. Like That's a lot like a mom. Everyone's around you, everybody needs you. And so Jesus got up and left early to go and pray. We should have Jesus's heart in that. So if this is new, it might seem really overwhelming, but you don't need a long quiet time, just start the habit. So it's like me with my slow, really nerdy running. Like I'm not the fastest, I don't go the farthest, 
I'm just trying to be faithful to do it. So be that with your Bible study. Just start the habit and all the benefits and see, see what the Lord brings will follow. So we talked a bit about what you should study. And let's now let's talk about when. When should we study our Bible with littles in our house? Because I want to be practical. And I do remember life with three small children. Like my glasses are not completely rose colored yet. Um, and you need to plan for your time in the word, but you also have to have a plan for your children for your time in the word. So, and, so let's talk about some of those options because some moms like to get up early and that's a great option. So the house is quiet with fewer distractions. So if you have a baby that naps, you can just pick a, pick a nap time. So determine that you'll read your Bible as soon as your baby goes down and then do the household things afterwards because we're all like give a mouse a cookie where you, you trade the laundry and then you notice that you need to fold that sock and then this one thing that's going to, and then the whole hour goes by and you didn't do it. So do the Bible first and then move on. Okay, but what if your kids are older or they have different nap schedules? Then what do you do? Well, it is possible to spend time with the Lord when your children are awake. It just takes more planning, but it also has some added benefits. So some moms have a basket where all the super cool stuff is, the toys that the kids want to play with and you always say no. All that stuff is in the basket and they only let their kid play with the basket during mom's Bible time. Or some moms train their kids to play quietly in their rooms for a short time each day. It's like quiet time or room time. So those are both great options. And personally, as my kids became toddlers and then preschoolers, I really liked the idea of my kids being aware of my time with the Lord. You read so many biographies of strong believers and a commonality, not all, but a commonality for them was reflecting back on their childhood. And they would remember how their parents spent time in prayer or they were reading the word or the discussion, the theological discussions at the dinner table. And I want the habit of reading the Bible to be observed by my kids. Like I remember taking my little kids aside and explaining what I was doing, like super simplified. I mean, something like, I'm gonna read the Bible because I love God. When I read, I'm gonna have you play you know, with these things. Don't talk to me or ask me questions because I wanna be a good listener to God. It's so simple but you're modeling over and over that I want to be dependent on the Lord. And this time is actually more important than your question. So it sets right priorities in their minds. So, and I often thought, even if I didn't get much actual reading done, because there's still interruptions after that, at least the modeling and the training took place. We want them to be able to imitate me as I imitate Christ, 1 Corinthians 11.1. So ask, ask your mentor moms and peer moms at your table for practical tips on Bible baskets and room time because they're all a lot better than I was at that. Um, they're just a wealth of great ideas. So but time with the Lord, it is worth the preparation. What are you willing to say no to so that you can say yes to reading the word? So And don't fall into that trap of thinking. You can just put it off till you're in another season because every season really is busy. And when the years roll by and you finally maybe feel like you do have more time, but then the habits of living in your own strength will be ingrained in your heart and you won't be in the habit of turning to the Lord then. Can I challenge you this week, whenever you want to say, I don't have time, instead say, 
It's not a priority. Often that is a fine substitution. I don't have time to do the ironing. Fine. <laughs> That's always true in my house. It's, it's never a priority to do the ironing. But ah, I ran out of time to read my kids their Bible story. It wasn't a priority to read my kids their Bible story today. I didn't have time to read my Bible. That's not a priority to read my Bible. I, don't, I didn't have time to pray for my husband. I forgot. It wasn't a priority to pray for my husband. I mean, people make time for what is really important to them. So, and it's often said, if, if you want to know what you love, look at your money. I think if you want to know what you love, look at your time. Time is such a precious commodity to us. And with all of these, these do's and try this, God doesn't love us more when we do more. And he doesn't love us less when we do less. Like his love for us is safe because of what he's done for us in Christ. But shouldn't his kindness just lead us to pursue him and want to spend time with him? So in every season, we cultivate that longing for the Lord. And it's always through his word and through prayer. And in every season, we need to step back and review those overall priorities in our life. And with that, it might seem like, man, we need to lead, lead these like super organized lives with goals and lists. And like, this couldn't be further from the truth. And this is not a message for type A people. I'm really not a type A person. So, but goals and application, they're, they're balanced in life with unexpected challenges and opportunities. Real life is really messy. We need a plan, but we also need to be flexible and take risks sometimes. So third in your outline, a balanced heart, it does not mean a peaceful life, a peaceful life. I opened up Instagram the other day and I saw a picture of a beautiful family. They were in a field, it was sunset, their coordinated outfits were blowing in the breeze and the kids were smiling at each other. That's how I knew it was a sham. So, <laughs> scrolled to the next photo and I saw a mom and she's just waking up for the day. She was in bed, but her hair and makeup was all perfect and the room looked like Pottery Barn. Like, you see, you're laughing because you've seen photos like these. And I think, I think we look at these photos and we think, oh, this is what, what balance looks like, or this is what I want, this, this is my goal, or this is what I deserve. So, but these photos are false. They're a false reality. So God, now God is glorified in an orderly home and kind children like in these photos, but often God calls us to glorify him by navigating through messy times and through hardships. Balance doesn't mean that life will be neat and tidy, like fit into organized little boxes labeled with a cricket machine. We need to replace the world's lies about balance with examples of real godly women. Like you look at Sarah in the Old Testament, she left her home in Ur and moved to another country when her husband admittedly did not even know where he was going. So she trusted the Lord, submitted to her husband, and the Lord honored her in Hebrews 11.1. Or we look at Mary, whose life was turned upside down when she was teenage pregnant with baby Jesus out of wedlock. I mean, what a social scandal that was. Or Martha, she regularly hosted and fed crowds as they followed Jesus. So we know that really stressed her out, right? Like Luke 10. Or Lydia. Lydia let a whole church meet at her house in Philippi. I mean, that had a cleanup crew and a setup crew. And, but she did it. She said, yes, that was messy. So, or you think about Elizabeth Elliot. So she went as a missionary with her husband to Ecuador, where he was killed by the people he was trying to evangelize. 
But then she went on to encourage so many ladies through her writings, or even Patricia MacArthur, who has to weather her husband's hectic schedule and trust the Lord through the stress of slander and being just in the public eye. I mean, these are lives, they're not picture perfect and they're not easy. They're shaped by challenges and godly women become godly by persevering through challenges. Romans 3, 4, and 5, we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And these women definitely had right priorities, but their lives were not full of organized calm. They had highs and lows and hills and valleys. So, and sometimes the Lord brings the trial, like the MacArthur's, the slander, the MacArthur's weather, or Mary being pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And other times the refining comes as a direct result of a decision you made, um, like choosing to let a church meet in your house or Martha saying yes to hosting so often. So sometimes you have to step back and take the risk and say yes. Um, for you, maybe your CGS for a volunteer or another mom asks you to pray with her and study together or a meal sign up list goes out for a new baby. And it can be tempting to live within our comfort zone and say no and even hide behind the need to live for my priorities. But the Lord is glorified in us when we have to depend on him. And I think often of Isaiah 6 when I'm hesitating due to fear, in Isaiah 6, 8 it says, then I, Isaiah, heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. If you read the whole passage or remember from our summer series at FBC, you know that Isaiah didn't feel like he had it all together. He didn't feel ready to go. He didn't feel like he was prepared to be used by the Lord, but the opportunity came and he stepped forward. It's okay to have busy days for the Lord. Paul said in Galatians 6, 9, quoted this morning, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So doing good is a choice and it requires perseverance and it sometimes takes some courage. We can even think about Jesus. Jesus didn't lead a peaceful life, not in his last three years of public ministry, but he had a peaceful spirit. He was able to embrace hardships that he faced because he was settled in his heart what his purpose was, why he was here and what goals he was trying to accomplish. So he alone maintains that perfect balance, um, that tension in many areas of balance between confronting people and consoling them, speaking grace and speaking truth, practicing self-discipline and also resting and sneaking away in the morning to pray. And the better we know Christ, the more we'll become like him. We live in a tension of being careful and purposeful and also being stretched and used for the Lord. If you were to look at my life and judge on externals, I am very possibly the worst woman at FBC to teach a message on balance because my life doesn't usually look like this calm, organized thing. In fact, a couple of years ago, my husband and I bought an 80s ranch house and we completely gutted it. Like, think fixer-upper. So the kids and I live and homeschool in three bedrooms and I cook in the garage. And for about the last year, we had no heat, no air, no washer dryer. I had my coffee this morning at the garage cafe. So <laughs> happened in place, five stars. So it's a crazy adventure, lots of stories. And 
I don't say it as a badge of honor, but I want to point out that my life looks messy. I like nothing like a pretty Instagram photo. Like, and we're definitely working to return to normal life and making progress, but I don't have to wait for these external changes to be balanced, to train my children, to love the Lord, to step out in ministry, to serve other people. And I am really so thankful for all the lessons that we've learned in our current situation. I mean, my whole family has been shaped by this long trial because we could be bitter and complain, or we could choose to be thankful for every bit of progress, for the many kindnesses of our friends as they've helped us and given us advice. Thankful even for how we have to grow in flexibility and problem solving. Thankful for how there's forced humility when I have someone over for dinner and it is served literally in my garage. And people don't mind. People don't mind. So you might be living in a studio apartment or with your in-laws or you're a single mom or there's just something that you wish was different about your life. But your circumstances do not need to change in order for you to pursue balance. Because balance is not about your external circumstances. It's a matter of your heart. So the troubles and inconveniences can just swirl around you, but your heart can be fixed on the Lord. So I want to leave you with words from a wise man that I think everyone here has read, Dr. Seuss. So although I modified his words slightly, next time you read, oh, the places you'll go, you'll get mixed up, of course, as you already know. You'll get mixed up with many strange birds as you go. So be sure where you step. Step with care and great tact. And remember that life's a great balancing act. And will you succeed with the Lord? Yes, indeed. 98 and three quarter percent guaranteed. <laughs> All right, let's pray. God, we're thank you, thankful today for the clarity of your word, for how you have laid out for us the good works that you want us to walk in. We pray for clear thinking and guidance from your spirit as we evaluate our hearts and lives this week, as we go into fall and look at the commitments that we're considering making, that you would guard us from saying yes to things that are distractions, and that you would help us to choose to prioritize the best things that you would have for us. We want to spend time with you to get to know you better. We want to serve you and take risks for you to say yes to the things that you've chosen for us to walk in. Lord, we pray that the time at our tables, that we would be encouraged to press on and that we'd spur one another on as we talk together about your word. Amen. So well, next this morning, we get to hear just a little bit from our FBC missionary, Christine Kramer. So Christine is an example of living with balance in very busy circumstances. So she's a mom of five, ages nine down to two, She's in the process of adoption with her two-year-old, and she's also served as a missionary in Albania for the past nine years. So she's uniquely lived out the truth that we can live balanced and with purpose and yet not have a cookie-cutter organized lifestyle. So she has taken risks for the Lord. She's entrepreneurial. She started a bakery in Albania to employ Albanian converts. She's an excellent discipler of women. She's a cheerful trainer of her children. If you know Christine, you know she has the best smile and it's always on, she's always smiling. So she has endured some challenging times though as well. And so we've asked her to come encourage us this morning in what the Lord has taught her. So please welcome up Christine.
Thank you, Beth. I'm so happy to be here. I love FBC. Uh, I, I don't know if you all know how privileged you are to be a part of this church. We visit a lot of churches when we're in America and FBC is my favorite. Don't tell any of the other churches. Um, so I'm really thankful to be here. And like Beth said, my husband and I are missionaries in Albania. You don't know where that is. You should look on a map. It's about Italy and Greece and not quite as cool. Um, but we love it and we're thankful to be there. And God has taught us many things uh, in the last nine years. But uh, what, they, what Beth specifically asked me to share about today was uh, just trials and hard things that happen in life and how we can, as moms and as wives, um, allow those to grow us and make us more into Christ's image. Um, so I was thinking about that, and I mean, that's a really broad topic. I feel like that's something you could spend, I mean, I'm sure there's been books written about that, but um, there's something that I always think about, and it's a phrase, and I don't know who said it, I don't know where it's from, if you know where this quote is from, please tell me because I don't know, but I've heard it. I know I've heard it, I didn't make it up. Um, that trials, challenges, hard things in your life, they're gonna do one of two things. They're gonna make you bitter or better. And I'm gonna change it a little bit. I'm gonna say bitter or beautiful, and it will make sense as I go on. But um, the trial, like Beth said, is something that can come from the outside, uh, and affect you or something that is a result of your own choices, right? Like my husband and I, we moved to Albania, we chose to do that. And there have been many trials that have come along with that. So we all know what a trial is, James 1, 1 Peter 1, we're familiar with that concept. Um, but a trial can do one of two things, it will make you better or it will make you more beautiful for Christ. Um, so bitter, I was trying to think of an example in the Bible. And uh, who do we know that had probably the most trials? When we think of trials in the Bible, who do we think of most? Job. Thank you. Wow, you guys are good. We think of Job. And we think of everything that happened to him. And I was reading even this morning, Job 1. Um, his ox die. His sheep are burned. Um, here, what else happens? His camels are destroyed. And right, this is their livelihood. Like, we're like oxen, sheep, whatever. But like, this is their life, okay? So his life is destroyed. His sons and daughters are killed. And then he gets sores and boils. And I remember this reading this as a kid. And whenever I got to this part, I just, it just is gross. Like, he's scraping himself. The boils off of him, right? So we get this, just this horrible, horrible picture of Job. He's lost everything. He's lost his children. He's literally scraping boils off of his body, and but that's not the end. What, what is the, the final blow to Job? And if you read this in Job 2, um, the, the final blow to Job is, is his wife. And uh, unfortunately, she says to Job, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. And, I mean, this poor woman, those are her only words in the Bible. That, that's all she said. 
And when you get to heaven and you meet Job's wife, that's it. That's all she got, right? Uh, she says to her husband, curse God and die. And that is Job's final blow, right? Is that his very wife is telling him, look, that was enough. You, like, let's turn against God. Let's quit. Lose your integrity. Curse God. This, this is it. Um, and, I mean, you can continue to read and see what he says to her because he does not, fortunately, right? He doesn't listen to her in this instance. Um, but the problem with Job's wife is that she despairs and she looks inward. She looks at what's going on around her and she despairs. And uh, she becomes bitter. And uh, like I said, we've been in Albania for 10 years. Uh, the first few years were incredible, like exactly what you would pray for as a missionary. People are coming to Christ, there's fruit everywhere, and it, we were like, this is, this is amazing, like more people should do this. Where are all the missionaries? And then slowly, it became a lot more difficult, and we went through a season of just a lot of loss, different situations. Then we went through a season of just being attacked, and spiritual, just spiritual warfare is what I would call it. Um, we were surrounded by corruption. At times, we were the only people standing for truth. There were people that we had poured into that just completely turned on us. There was, like I said, corruption and just dark, dark sin. And um, there came a time where I, like Job's wife, I mean, maybe not quite that bad as Job's wife, but I said to God, definitely, and sometimes to my husband, what are we doing? Like, we chose this, we moved here, we have five kids, this is gonna affect our kids. Like, this is not what we signed up for. The first few years, yeah, that was great. That's what we signed up for, but this, this is not what we signed up for. Um, and this is gonna affect them, and this is gonna change our kids, and sometimes it felt like it was not going to change them for the better. And I despaired, and had a total lack of faith in God, like Joe's wife. And um, I, at that time, I happened to pick up a book, and it is one everyone should read. I, I shouldn't, I don't actually know the title of it, but <laughs> you, you can find it on Amazon. That was the last thing I forgot to do this morning. It is about Anne Judson, who was a missionary to Burma, so you can find it. And the author is Sharon something, so you can write that down. <laughs> uh, Anne Judson by Sharon something. It's on Amazon. Um, she was one of the first American missionaries, and her and her husband were in Burma. I don't even really know much about Burma, but these people were real missionaries, okay? I am not, like if those people were missionaries, I'm not one, because they got on a boat, sailed across the ocean, and didn't think they'd ever come back. Um, they were like, they were the real missionaries. Um, I think some of these people, they like, they put their coffin on the boat because they know they would never come back. Um, and this book is incredible. And I start reading it and I just am completely convicted because I realize like this lady went so, no, that's not it. It is not my heart in his hands. That is also about Ann Judson. There's another book about Ann Judson by Sharon something, okay? <laughs> I should have brought it with me. I could have found it if I was at home. Um, but uh, this woman did the opposite of Job's wife. 
So instead of despairing, instead of looking inward, instead of looking at what is going on around her and despairing, uh, she looks to Christ. And she basically had everything that happened to Job's wife happen to her. Her kids die, her husband's imprisoned, she has horrible, gross diseases from this country that she lives in. And um, most of the book is her letters and journals to people. And I just wanted to read you two things that, that she said. Um, and it's kind of old English, so listen. Um, this is what she says. So again, disease, death, no fruit. They didn't see a single person come to Christ for seven years. Um, and this is what she says. A little sacrifice for the cause of Christ is not worth naming, and I feel it a privilege of which I am entirely undeserving to have had it in my power to sacrifice my all for him who hesitated not to lay down his life for sinners. And then she says, and this is where I think the title of that other book comes from, is this quote. Uh, I must spend my days, if I must spend my days in a heathen land, I am a creature of God, and he has an undoubted right to do with me as seemeth good in his sight. I rejoice that I am in his hands, that he is everywhere present and can protect me in one place as well as in another. He has my heart in his hand, and when I am called to face danger, to pass through scenes of terror and distress, he can inspire me with fortitude and enable me to trust him. Jesus is faithful. His promises are precious. Were it not for these considerations, I should, with my present prospects, sink down in despair, especially as no female has, to my knowledge, ever left the shores of America to spend her life among the heathen. But whether I spend my days in India or America, I desire to spend them in the service of God and be prepared to spend an eternity in his presence. And that is beautiful. And that's why I say bitter or beautiful. This woman has a beautiful heart for God. And she looked to Christ instead of herself. She looked to him in what was hard, in the challenging situations. And I'm supposed to be done, but I have three things to do if you are suffering in your trials. That's the book. Thank you, Lissy. It's called Anne Judson and the Missionary Life Report by Sharon James. Sharon, see? Okay. Sharon James. Anne Judson by Sharon James. Um, so three things to do when you're suffering, when you're in a trial, when life is hard. Uh, one, surrender your will. Uh, surrender synonyms. Abandon, submit, relent, yield. Literally, one of the synonyms is <laughs> in the thesaurus online is to wave the white flag. You are saying, I'm, I'm done. I yield, I relent. The opposite of this is to fight, right? You can surrender or fight. Have you ever been in a fight with God? I have been in some fights with God, and they haven't gone very well, and I lost. So you can lose your fight with God, or you can just surrender, right? And uh, sometimes I've literally physically opened my hand and said, like, okay, God, I'm done. Uh, you, you can take this. You're in charge. And uh, this means giving up your plans for your life, your hopes, your dreams. You're giving your children, your husband, your health. All of these things, you're surrendering, you're relenting, you're letting go, you're yielding, waving the white flag, not fighting God. Um, and you really have to ask yourself that because if you're not surrendered, 
uh, you can't do the second thing, which is to seek Christ. So number one, surrender. Number two, seek Christ. Uh, James 1, 5 through 7. Uh, you know this, but I'm going to read it um, right here. If you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. It will be given to him, but he must ask in faith. You know the rest. Uh, you can't see God if you haven't surrendered. But in a hard situation, you need his wisdom, right? We need his wisdom. And we cannot continue without it. But if you have not surrendered, you cannot seek him for his wisdom. Um, third, uh, oh, there was one more verse I had here. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I'm not going to read it. You know it. Uh, but love him, know his word, seek his will, seek his wisdom. And lastly, and this is what Ann Judson did so well, serve. Get your eyes off yourself and serve. Who can you bless? I think sometimes we can use a trial as a reason to not serve and to say, I'm in a really hard situation. Uh, I don't have the capacity for that right now. That's actually the opposite of what you should do. You should find someone to serve, preferably someone who has bigger issues than yourself, who has bigger problems. Serve someone, whether that be your children, whether that be your husband, find people that aren't saved and share the gospel. And uh, these are, this will, this will change how you view what you're going through. Um, how can you impact your kids in suffering? Let them watch you love others when you're sad. Let them watch you serve people when they know that you're, you're sad or you're having a hard day. Um, and you might say, like, we might sometimes say, like, that's, that's a big sacrifice. I don't know what I want to sacrifice. But um, we are the sacrifice. You are sacrificed already to God. You don't get to pick what you're going to sacrifice to him. Uh, you have sacrificed yourself, and you give your whole self um, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I'm going to read that, um, and then we will be done. But uh, that is the, the, oh, this is in the Bible, okay, here we go, Romans 12, 1 and 2, therefore exhort your brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as sacrifices, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. You are the sacrifice. So you give God your whole self, you serve others, you share the truth, you love people, you get involved, you have people in your life, you ask people for help, you surrender, you seek, and you serve, and God will make you beautiful and not bitter, like Job's wife. That's, that's what I have for you today. I love this church and therefore love you all, and I'm really thankful to be here, and I hope that was encouraging in this moment.